0: I'm gonna fight them all A seven nation army couldn't hold me back They're gonna rip it off Taking the time right behind my back And I'm talking to myself at night Because I can't forget Back and forth through my mind Behind the scenes of it. And the a mission coming from my heart says, Hold your head up, move on Keep your head up, move on Hold your head up, move on I do this all green I travel the world in the 70s Everybody
1: That was a great tune, you have to admit. I I loved it. I loved it. And it really brought the energy that we need today. Because, you know, as long as you know their plan, it's all a trap. And there's a lot of people saying, what are you talking about? Well, less than 10, more than 5. And that is how you make things happen. This is where... You now turn up the volume and get heard. Because, you know, one of the, my most sinful delights, I would say, things that make me smile in an evil way smile, you know, that sneaky, evil smile where you're just like, mm, gotcha, right? Is telling someone, I'm going to do this to you, and watching them pretend that it doesn't bother them, and then they do that hard, dry swallow, right? That, yeah, that wicked Cheshire cat grin. I have been grinning since yesterday, only because last night I realized just how everything fits. We see that the things that have happened overseas in communist nations, they diluted the citizens' voices, Always, right? And they have done that to you, too. I mean, look, the Amish don't even have coronavirus because they don't have TVs. They've taken away our ability to proclaim national independence. Uh Turned citizens against the police themselves, right? Turned you against your neighbor. The controlled messages that they give are simply to silence us, to put us in where we need to be. But the key here is that if you're patient, as I am, even though I'm not, okay, I, have to, I am one of the most impatient people, I think on this planet, I'm gonna take that title and say I'm the most impatient person, okay? Because it sucks, it's like I have a remote control in my hand, I can press fast forward to get to the end that I want to see, But it's like, I'm not, I'm resisting it. And, you know, I really want to fast forward, seriously. So, um, I really want to. But we're the people. We have an immense amount of power that is not being yielded correctly. Disruption. In technology, that term is embraced, loved, and adored. Ooh, It's a disrupt to the industry. Well, we're disrupting on a local level and voices are being heard. There are people that are willing to help you disrupt. And even though they know that they are in positions that they do, that they're not entitled to because it was illegal, they will still do what they have to do because, eh. First of all, they're supposed to be doing that job, right? That's, that's, that's what they supposedly won with these fixed selections. And this is where they get the choice. Do I stand on the right side of history or do I not? And as you saw, Ohio led the pack, actually showed the world what President Trump's legacy really is. And that's to empower the people. Now, we we all know this Attorney General letter was received a couple days ago. I needed to sit on it. I needed to read it. I needed to do a little bit of digging, too. You know, talk to my sources, see what happened in that office. And I think what happened in that office is like, wait a minute, all of us got the same email. Oh, no. And then it's like phone calls to other AGs. I got that email, too. I got that letter. I got it, too. I got it, too. But guess what? Dave Yost is a bit of a tool. He He tries to play the middle fence. And he doesn't really do what we want him to do because we've never demanded him to do anything. We've asked once, twice here. But here is where there's localized disruption. Right? You've localized your disruption to your area. And look at what Ohio did. On the 25th and the 26th of January, a mass amount of letters and emails bombarded the Attorney General's office saying, "Dude." Do something. You better do it now. You got 48 hours, man, and I'm watching you and everyone in your office. You do something, and you make sure that our energy in our state, which, by the way, Ohio State has a very dark history about Enron. I don't know for those of you that have been listening to me, but back in 2019, around March, April, May, and June, I was um, throwing in some, you know, lighting some fires in Ohio, Because I saw that the Enron case from like 2000 whatnot was not closed, was not closed. And so I was like, hey, since the case isn't closed, I mean, can I get an update? Can you give me what you got, Judge? And suddenly (laughs) there was a motion to close the case. (laughs) And I never heard about Clinton Energy Management Services again. Yeah, that's another story. That's for another time. But you are sheep no more, my friends. This is how it happens. You tell them you will make their heads spin if they don't do something. And when the response and the communication is massive, look what Ohio did. What did we send? A couple thousand emails and letters at the same time? Right? That's what happened. When people organize correctly and within the bounds by the law, damn, stuff happens. Because... He received the notifications on the 25th, 26th, let's go. 29th, he sent the letter to Biden saying, I'm not going to let you do anything that's going to harm the citizens of Ohio and jeopardize our security. Well, what happened, Yost? Did you borrow somebody's, you know, bounce the balls? What happened? What happened was, is that he realized that there is a plan. What happened was, is that he realized that Ohioans, organized Ohioans, organized citizens in general, that aren't going to stand out there and torch things and picket signs, but demand he do his job. Well, that's another thing. See, while these people are in elected office, they are mandated to respond. Another thing a lot of people didn't know I was working on was getting... Documentation from the state of Ohio, the Secretary of State specifically, before the elections. And every week I would email, hey, because they don't give you your email. So what do I do? I use the resources available to me that the government thinks I'm entitled to, and that's all. They hide their emails. They have some fancy call center that reroutes calls that sends you straight to voicemail. And so I filled out that document every week with my copy paste of what I wanted and they didn't respond. So then I made phone calls, and all I got was voicemail, and nobody responded for the past two weeks. I mean, I've called three times a week. I'm, you know, by definition, a nuisance now, right? I mean, that's nuisance, right? Why are you calling me three times a week? No one's responding. But you know, coronavirus, right? It takes them, you know, a couple months to get back to emails because of coronavirus, right? That's the excuse. Well, I wanted a specific man's email, a guy named Nicholas. Nicholas is the guy that would answer this. He's a lawyer, works for the Secretary of State. So instead of me using whatever means I had, I implored the people of Ohio, hey, anybody got this guy's email? Boy, did they find it. And it was a Gmail. Why would a Gmail account be on a public domain? That makes absolutely no sense. Where's your Ohio.gov email, dude? on formal communications. Oh, it's not there. Why? Oh, Because you don't want us to see how we can communicate with you. I see more lack of transparency. So this morning, I emailed this gentleman and said, hey, you know, there are laws in the state of Ohio that give us the right to inspect all records regarding elections. And there are remedies, misdemeanors, minor misdemeanors, but you get removed from office too. Now that's one of the remedies because here's how it's going to go. All Ohioans will sign and when I go and file it in court, I'll pay my little $80 fee (laughs) and file it, but it'll have hundreds of signatures and it turns into like a class action. Which is simply that I'm requesting the court to give me remedy because they will not provide me the contracts that they signed on our behalf to hire and pay these companies, ENS and Dominion. All I asked for was to see the contracts, all of them. That includes how they responded to the request for proposals. Hey, we're having elections. Who wants to bid to take our money and conduct it? We want to buy machines and equipment, right? That's how it usually goes. So all I'm asking for is to see what was the procurement announcement you made? What were their responses? What did they provide you? I want all the certificates, the voting systems and the equipment ones, all of them. And then I want the interim contract. Here's a fun fact. Did you know in your state there's a escrow contract? Now, this contract is like a, well, okay, we approve you, Dominion, to provide your machines and your software and your systems in general, the whole system. System is software and equipment together. But we need to inspect it. In that contract, it clearly states, Dominion says, sure, you can inspect everything except for, (laughs) I need that in writing. Because if anyone in the government signed off on an escrow that says you can check everything but this, because this is proprietary, damn, that kind of sounds black and white illegal. Ooh, someone's in trouble. Why are you saying it, Tori? Well, the documents have to be there. I need to see the documents, because in those documents, because I know the machines. remember, I orchestrated the Ukraine elections. I know exactly what's in those machines. (laughs) So I know what to look for. And I know there's a lot of other people that know what to look for. So when I get those documents, I know exactly what I want to see. And this is where it begins. Not only that, I also asked to find out. It's so weird in Ohio. Some counties have ENS. Some counties have Dominion. Like, can I get the names of the people that actually picked ENS over Dominion and why and who distributed it? I mean, I just want to see because if they're elected officials or anything, I just need to see if they got, um, you know, any funding from anyone like, I don't know, the AFL-CIO. Oh, this is so much fun. You see how it works? This is where the Cheshire grin comes out. Because once you document and demonstrate that they have not been abiding by the law, that they have not been serving you, Well, then, oh, well, the law is pretty straightforward on that. So this is how it's going to roll. I gave the guy 48 hours to get back to me. Um, And if he doesn't get back to me in 48 hours, that's fine. It's a very simple filing, and I will put it there. And then, (sighs) ah, well, everybody else can sign on it, too. Every other Ohio citizen can sign on it, too. And we can have one of the biggest class action lawsuits for them violating transparency laws that they themselves enacted. I mean, we'll deal with legislation too. We've got the Q warrant coming. We've got all this stuff happening in Ohio, but you know, step by step, because if he doesn't get back to me in 48 hours, guess what? We send a new letter to the attorney general of Ohio that listens to his constituents and say, I need you to start a criminal complaint against them because here's the evidence, here's the IP log, here's the time, because I took screenshots of all of it. Every single time that I sent them a request, I took a screenshot of me submitting it with the date and the time. (laughs) So then I submit that as a criminal complaint, because there are remedies for this. And I tell the Attorney General, I want an investigation, and I want you to tell me immediately if you will be pursuing it. Because if not, we want to file a clash action lawsuit if your office can't do it. And that's why we're pressuring you to answer the question now. And if your tool says, I need time to get it together, you need to remind him that this should be readily available for every citizen to see on the Secretary of State's website, which, by the way, deleted a couple pages, as you know, over the past week. This is, see, everything that I post in Telegram or talk about is uh, not happenstance, chance it all makes sense in the end. See, now you could be like, wait a minute. She did say that he deleted this page. Wait a minute. She did say this. Wait, oh, because in essence, I've been walking you through my activities hand in hand without pointing it out, right? So this is where we're at. We control the volume, right? We target them. Now, those that have been trying to silence us, are being hunted. Hunted to be eliminated from our political sphere. I mean, once again, they deploy fear porn and scare tactics, right? All the time. Well, I guess it's time to not give them fear porn, but give them actual (laughs) consequences And, and, and own up to them. I mean, these people work for us. An argument, though, that I made in my article, which was very important, was, you know, there's a reason that there's the first hundred days that people look at a presidency. There's some verbiage in our courts and in our Constitution that claims that if uh, the administration is unfit, (laughs) the election may be annulled. How do I know this? Well, I did tell you that there was a recorded call because it's presidential archives, between the chief justice of the Supreme Court, Barack Hussein Obama, Comey Lynch, Brennan, Clapper, and Clapper's really not singing, okay, where they were discussing how they can annul the elections of President Donald J. Trump in 2017. Now, during that call, because I wasn't even aware that that was a thing, the chief justice said, well, there is one thing. If you can prove that... Donald J. Trump as president is unfit within the first hundred days, then you can remove him. I was thinking when I heard it, I was like, "Mm, interesting chief justice Roberts. Thank you. (laughs) Maybe we should call you as a friend of the court when this happens. And if you say you don't know of it, maybe then we can demand that presidential archive be unleashed, 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 open that box. So What am I trying to say? How do you test the fitness of a president? Well, Joe Biden, I'm pretty sure can't tie a shoe, you know, as he's signing away our freedoms and selling our nation out to the highest bidder and, you know, making diabetics beg for their medications now. And if, oh, what, you have allergies? (laughs) EpiPen, sorry, we need that for other stuff. You need to pay $700 for an EpiPen again now. So all of these things seem to be uh, not working for the American people. As Patrick Berge was said, it's kind of like a potato head, right? Well, I mean, if you're putting the nation's, secu- you know, safety and security at risk, if you're causing harm to the people, if you're causing undue burden to the people, I think that would be demonstration of being unfit. The thing is, where are the attorney generals around the nation to take that message and formulate it into an argument and stand up for their states? Remember Adams and Jefferson, you know, States have a lot more power. So uh, a doctor can sign off anything. I'm going to tell you now, you know, if you don't want to get the vaccine and you're forced to, I mean, you can always find a doctor that you can pay off and say, just squirt that over there and just sign the document that you gave it to me. Whoa, Tori, that's, that's illegal. Who said it's illegal? Why? Is it a legal obligation to put stuff in my body? What happens between a doctor and a patient is private. Unless HIPAA doesn't apply when it comes to mandatory vaccinations. That'll come as an argument way later. But think about it. Think about it. Just think about it. So where are our AGs? Showing us that they're standing for us, that they're our state's lawyers. We have an unfit administration with Kamala Harris in the background lurking over Joe Biden's shoulder, counting the days down for 100, drooling at the thought that he, she will become president because he's going to get sick. Remember, that's how it's going to go. Unfit administration causing harm, knowingly and willingly, to the people putting our security at risk, unfit administration, therefore an annulment of whatever election results they had. I mean, he also did say, if I don't do what people want, I'll just step down. I'll get a mysterious disease. Yes, do so before the 100 days. Because before the 100 days, we didn't vote for Kamala, right? We always vote for president, I mean, the, the vice president just is an tack-on, right? It's not like, you know, there isn't a good president and then there's a really crappy VP and you're like, well, I don't want that president because he has a crappy VP. Nobody does that. So this is going to be a lot of fun because SCOTUSgate is getting really interesting lately. <laughs> so that's something that we should think about. Let it percolate a bit. How would you demand your AG? to contest the election based on the fact that we have an unfit administration. And like someone just said, a hundred-day lemon law. I mean, Obama was entertaining it about President Trump. I mean, did you see how they were going to 25th Amendment President Trump (laughs) the minute he came into office? Think, 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 think. See, whatever they tried to use to gain their evil ground can be slung right into their face for good. Now, right now, we have the impeachment trial going. Uh, I don't know if I want to talk to. I don't want to. I don't want to play Jamie Raskin at all. So I'm just going to watch him. And then when the president's um, so-called lawyers, is kind of weird. Yesterday, I, I don't know, how you guys. Well, I was kind. Of, I felt kind of violated, especially when the lawyer himself yawned. I was just like, um, it's interesting. But uh, yesterday, what it taught us is, is that uh, they will stop at literally nothing to get what they want, and that's full control and power. And I say this, I wrote a piece on ToriSays.com, and I said, and I asked the question, will they impeach America? Because right now, the selected members of the Senate decided that impeaching a former president is indeed constitutional, which, like I said, is great. This is history that was written. Because now we can impeach Barack Hussein Obama, something that a lot of us have wanted to do. But the question is, how far are they willing to take it? I mean, considering this, I mean, does it, does it count posthumously? Is a dead president, a dead former president, you know, Eligible to be impeached too? Because if that's the case, I need George Bush Sr. impeached and tried for the murder of JFK. I mean, that's what's up. See, we watched the people that were selected by corporate America completely destroy any foundation of this nation yesterday. They were using the word constitution as if it's something that they care about when they want to tear it apart. So, again, why would anyone not think that they might just decide to impeach George Washington and undo all of America if they want to? Yeah, let's just scrap that. Let's start all over again. Right? I mean, they could do that. They could. If they wanted to, they could. Many of us have stood back in awe watching this train wreck. For me, I've been watching it since last spring. It's like in slow motion. I'm like, ah. <laughs> I know. And it's like, damn, I want to like derail this. <laughs> Please. And a lot of people haven't even said anything. People still collecting their mouth off the floor thinking, damn, they just like totally stole the elections. And we're like, what are you going to do about it? And then not only that, they were like, if you say something, We're going to cancel you. Oh, guess what? We're going to close down your bank accounts. You're not going to get a job. You're going to be so in trouble. We're going to remove you from all the social media platforms. We are in charge. And they mistaken silence for inaction. Big mistake. Very big mistake. The only way to move forward, the only way you fix something that you know is broken is to remove those responsible. Now you would say removing clowns like Pelosi and Biden and Kamala and all these people will fix it. Actually, it's not. What we need to remove is the power that we've vested in other people to be our voice. You're your own voice. You sign up to things that you wanna do. Media doesn't do that for you. Cassandra Fairbanks definitely doesn't speak for me. Her and her code pink behind. Ali Akbar doesn't either. I don't do orgies. You know. You know. He should update his resume with male prostitute. Right? That's actually yeah. He was the male prostitute for like Rick Perry or something like that. I don't know. We'll see. It's in a book somewhere. That'll come out later. But I, male prostitutes, orgies, swinging, drugs, getting caught with tranny porn on your phone, kitty porn. Kitty diddling, human trafficking, partying, gaslighting. Totally doesn't represent me, and I'm sure it doesn't represent you. That's exactly what we need to do. We need to restore our image, our public image as conservatives. Because we've come out to be these evil people that hate anybody that's a different color, yet conservatives are the most diverse group of people there is. We're gay, straight, we don't use pronouns, though, right? Right? <laughs> no pronouns. We already know, we're good. right? We're good on that one. We don't need to be re-educated. right? We already know. So how do you restore your own image <laughs> by canceling the ones that stole it from you? That's pretty simple. That's how you fix it. We don't need to fight for the public to favor us. We are the damn public. We don't need to fight to control what people say because we are the people. (laughs) We are the damn narrative. They're not. So again, we need to fix it the right way. They can't label you. With what right can they label you? I mean, I have trolls all the time. Oh, her ex husband this and oh, and it's like, oh, so I'm that person now? So you're telling me because I was a victim that I'm a piece of shit too. Great. Bye. Oh, Karen moment this morning. Stop. Let me let me just show you how far gone people are. I went to the gas station this morning to pick up cigarettes. And um I walk in, I pick up um water, a Red Bull, and cigarettes. I go to get cigarettes. And I hear this woman, your mask, and um, and I ignore her. I knew she was talking to me and it wasn't. You know, I am deaf in one ear, but uh, that was actual selective hearing. I was like, hi, can I can I just get two Marlboro Light 100s? And then the lady behind this plexiglass that was wearing a mask behind the plexiglass stood there and said, your mask. What mask? So then I was like, wait a minute. It was the Karen with the, per, the pepper hair, the, you know, salt and pepper hair there. Let me go over that way. So I go to this thing that's real and I was just looking at things just to annoy her, to be in her proximity. She was like, um, your mask, you need to wear a mask. It's mandated and it's mandatory. I said, there's no law that says that I have to wear a mask. Yes, there is. Yes, there is. I thought there was. I was like, oh, that's fake news right there. Right there. And I was like, besides, I'm immune. I, uh, You know, if you're nice to me, I can give you some plasma. So you can be immune to it, too. And she huffs and she starts emptying boxes. She looked like she was the manager of the place. Nope, nope, definitely is. It's a federal mandate. It's a law. It's a crime. And I was like, all right, then why don't you call the police? No, you're going to leave. You're not allowed to be here. And I was like, wait, I have a solution. Just to make you feel really great. Since I don't have my yellow star passport that proves that I'm immune, because you need proof, right? Or that I got a vaccine. Here's what I'm going to do. And guys, I literally took my sweater I and put it over my face, the collar. And I said, do you feel better now? Does that make you feel better? Look how protected you are. And so I walked over to pay for my cigarettes to the lady. And she was like, yeah, you know, we just, it has to be a mask. And she was just kind of like, you know, that's how Hitler started. She was like, well, you, you know what? No, you just don't get service if you don't. That's what Hitler did too. That if you didn't do what he said, You were excluded from buying things. You were excluded for enjoying things. You were excluded from the conversation until he saw that the people that were revolting the most were the Jews. So then it became the Jews were nasty. This is how it started. Know your history. You wanna talk about oppression? You're doing it right now. And the lady was offended. "Uh, Is it because I'm black? And I was like, kinda. You're the one resisting, right? You're the one saying you want reparations, but you're doing it to me right now. And she just sat there for a second, and I could see her brain working on it, right? And I was like, well, you know, next time I could be here with a sign that says that I was immune, will that help you better? Will you feel better if I wore a sign or maybe a barcode? You know, kind of like they did to the Jews where they tattooed barcodes on them, made them wear yellow stars. She didn't speak. She was just looking. And I could see that her brain was working overtime. She was actually working overtime. Like, you can hear the elves shoveling coal in there. And she was like, perspective. The old other lady just left. You know, <laughs> you know she was doing her thing. Now, it wasn't me just trolling. It's very important that we convey the right type of response. Obviously, I was super bitchy. It's early in the morning. It's freaking cold. I'm only wearing a sweater, and I've got to deal with some Karen that thinks that a mask is going to save her even though the box says it does not protect you. But, you know, next time I come across a Karen, I'll be like, oh, did you know that the Amish don't have COVID because they have no freaking CNN and TV? But I didn't. Next time, I'll use that. It is our responsibility to educate those in our community, in a nice way, not in my bitchy way. I was super bitchy, but it was so weird how they all felt better when I lifted my sweater over my mouth. It was so cultish, so crazy, so insane, and I feel bad, you know, for um, for them. Really, I do. They. Have been programmed to submit. I feel so bad for them because they don't even realize that what they are participating is in is voluntary slavery. Quarantines are for sick people. What they're doing to us is house arrest. Masks don't work. They're simply muzzles to make you an unperson. Six feet apart. Clearly, the social distance is to isolate us. It's plain as day. And the fact that people don't see it is terrifying. The fact that they don't trust science. So today, we're going to talk about science. My favorite topics. The stuff that I see and how I see things. Because I always believe that, you know, the roots of all things we learn, every single piece of education, is actually bitter. Your experiences, your study hours, your reorganizing your thoughts because it's actually painful. You know, this is why drug addicts have a problem. There's a physical aspect to it. Neuronal pathways that were created for pleasure and seeking, just like neuronal pathways of obeying, when they are severed, to create new ones of free thought and freedom of that that which binds you, it's actually quite painful. Your experiences can be very bitter, but in the end, the fruit is always sweet. And, oh, one thing I always like to tell people is, did you know that the actual fruit part of a plant is the actual sperm? I know it sounds disgusting, but it's true. And that the pit is the, the, <laughs> the ovary. I'm so sorry. It's actually the sperm. And the reason that there's fruit is because in order to get to the to the actual baby of the plant, um, it must be eaten and... Um, so with, I, I, it's just a fun fact that I thought I'd throw out. All right, so let's get to the science of things. I found this really interesting clip from the infographic show, which I really like, um, which talks about a man... How, and how he changed his DNA. Now, I've said this many, many times before, and I know a lot of people don't talk about it, but, you know, we are simply software. All our cells, our skin cells, heart cells, muscle cells, they all uh, identify with each other and resonate at the same frequency with each other. Never really connect, well, they are connected by ligands and, you know, channels and whatever, but They're actually individuals, millions and millions and millions of cells that have individually come together to create you. It's kind of like, look at yourself from the moon. You look super tiny. That's exactly how each one of your cells are. And within those cells is a network of information, a network of information that is so fascinating, right? When I first saw microtubules actually move on a neuronal cell on an axon it blew my mind okay it blew my mind that something so impossibly tiny was happening in front of me that from one end of that neural cell to the other on that axon there was something literally walking information over which was a molecule it literally walks like with two feet your muscles act as if they walk it's a mechanical movement i mean it's it's the most humbling experience and as i've said any scientist that says that they don't believe in god is not a true scientist because man oh man oh man when you get down to the core of it down to the molecular signaling down to your dna down to the perfection of the 107 degree angle the perfection of the way the helix is. I mean, it's the most beautiful thing you could see. And see, that is so perfect. Like, wow. That is exactly the the way I feel when I see beautiful code. You know, I heard Patrick Berge once describing some guy that he had hired for a job as the Michelangelo of coding. Watching him was like, you know... (laughs) Picasso painting. It's like music when you see beautiful code, and and I remember that when I was watching the microtubules, I could just listen, and what I could hear was Vivaldi, like the Four Seasons. <laughs> it was it's one of my favorite um, songs. I like to call it songs, even though they if someone would say it's a composition or whatever. It was so beautiful. So your software, basically but just bio software. So here's where we're going to introduce ourselves to the ability to edit our own DNA. And yes,
2: someone has done it. Here to commit crimes in the 70s. Why do you think it was a heyday for serial killers like the Zodiac Killer, John Wayne Gacy, and David Berkowitz? Forensic DNA testing first successfully solved the criminal case in 1986. Dr. Alec Jeffries, a British geneticist, used genetic fingerprinting to solve a pair of sexually motivated murders in Leicester, UK. After this breakthrough, other crime scene investigators across the globe started to see similar success with these scientific methods. For aspiring criminals, it was all downhill from there. But that's not going to be you. No, you're a different class of ne'er-do-well. They've always told you that crime doesn't pay. Really? Pablo Escobar was spending $2,500 a month on rubber bands to keep the rest of his money together. And forensic DNA testing? No biggie. There are ways around that. You heard stories of criminals filing off or altering their fingerprints to get away with their dastardly deeds. But can you do the same with your DNA? Think your DNA is as unchangeable as your eye color? We regret to inform you that you're dead wrong on that one. And if you're really serious about taking on a criminal career, you better listen close and consider your options. Before we proceed, here's a quick science lesson about what exactly DNA is. If you're a fan of Jurassic Park, the phrase the building blocks of life probably jumped to mind. And you wouldn't really be wrong. The DNA acronym is short for deoxyribonucleic acid. It structures the famous double helix formed of two chemical strands called nucleotides and held together by four chemical bases, adenine A, thiamine T, cytosine C, and guanine G. DNA essentially stores the information for the development of your body. Now that we've gotten that out of the way, let's get back to changing your DNA for fun and profit, particularly of the criminal variety. First, you think, well, I better check and see how people have done this on purpose in the past. So you begin your research, and suddenly, you're seeing the name Josiah Zainer everywhere. Who is this guy calling himself a biohacker? And furthermore, what the heck is a biohacker? That sounds like something straight out of bunner Well, our morally dubious friend, biohacking is a practice.
1: I just wanted to say I have told the world that's exactly what I've been doing. I play a lot. This is a really underground uh, uh, network of people, biohackers. Um, they use it to manipulate uh, the body and actually using biological code for predictive analytics actually works better. I'm just saying.
2: It's a branch of the transhumanism movement. Biohackers are people who practice self-experimentation with the aim of improving their biology through science. You may hear this and start picturing resident evil style super mutations or elaborate cybernetic enhancements like robotic limbs and AI-assisted brains. And while this kind of thing is on the mind of some biohackers, many methods of biohacking are simpler. DIY systems of body and mind improvement. Jack Dorsey, CEO of Twitter, praises the curative powers of drinking salt juice and fasting. Other biohackers heavily moderate their sleep or exercise older individuals receiving regular blood transfusions from young, healthy donors to preserve their youth and vitality. So I guess vampires are real after all. Anyway, back to Mr. Josiah Zayner, a biohacker who claims to have successfully changed his DNA. You eagerly read into the story, hoping that with his simple method, you'll be bankrolling the Escobar dollars in no time. Who is this man, and what exactly did he do to change his DNA? Zayner is a lifelong devotee of the biohacking movement. The 38-year-old former NASA employee believes science and technology are the best paths to unlocking the true potential of the human body. And as a testament to his beliefs, he uses himself as a guinea pig. While his more recent stunts include injecting his arm with modified CRISPR DNA in hopes of stimulating muscle growth, you bookmarked that one for later. Of real interest to you is Zaner's full-body microbiome transplant in 2016. For the record, the microbiome is a term for the ecology of microbes in your body. Josiah Zaner had been plagued by gastrointestinal issues his whole life, and so decided to treat this with a fecal matter transplant. What exactly is a fecal matter transplant, you wonder? While fecal matter transplants are an accepted medical treatment, Josiah Zaner's take on the treatment involved using antibiotics to eliminate his gut bacteria. Don't try this at home. And then ingesting samples of his friend's feces to replace said bacteria. Don't try that at home either. However, at least according to Zaner's self-reporting, the treatment did change his life for the better. His homegrown DNA sequencing confirmed that he had indeed changed his gut microbiome. Between oddball treatments like fecal matter transplants and injecting CRISPR DNA, you could become a whole new person. In the words of Zaner himself, this is the first time in human history that we're no longer stuck with the genes we had at birth. That being said, Zayner kind of lost you at the uh, ingesting his friend's feces part. I mean, you want to start collecting your ill-gotten gains, but not quite that badly. There has to be a non-gross way of changing your DNA, right? The search goes on. While researching more methods of evading forensic DNA detection, you find you're seeing the words "gene therapy" an awful lot. You also see the story of Brian Mado, a 44-year-old man from Phoenix, Arizona, who was treated for his enzyme-inhibiting genetic disease with a gene-editing liquid. The disease was costing Brian hundreds of thousands of dollars in treatment costs every single year, without ever really providing him a better quality of life. Thanks to gene editing, his chances of recovery have never been better. Sandy McRae, the CEO of the company responsible for Brian's therapy, explained the process as follows. We cut your DNA, open it up, insert a gene, and stitch it back up invisible mending it becomes part of your- your DNA and it's there for the rest of your life. Gene editing as a treatment for genetic disease has become increasingly mainstream over the last several years, thanks to advances in science and technology in this area. In late 2017, the U.S. Food and Drug Administration approved Luxturna, a drug capable of altering the patient's DNA. Specifically, Luxturna treats a rare form of hereditary genetic blindness. Much like Josiah Zayner's CRISPR dosages, Luxturna is injected, so it isn't the kind of thing you can obtain without a serious prescription. Scott Gottlieb, who is the FDA
1: wait a minute let's just stop right there one second now i did show you that they're now giving anal swabs for covid right and i have referred to this planet this uh, area that you reside in and it is considered home a biodome so on a macro scale the animals the plants the bugs the everything that exists is there to live in unison with you and sustain you. Well, on a micro scale, you also have a biodome, a micro bio Probiotics, anyone? Yes? And I have explained to you how HIV and such diseases, even diabetes, is trained within your gut. <laughs> The thing that I've always told you to trust. The thing that I have also told you is um, an independent neuronal block of thought. The gut. (laughs) Funny how everyone's on this probiotic kick lately. Now, they're injecting people. What are they injecting them with? Oh, that's right. RNA. Wait a minute. Hold on. Aren't flu vaccines with a bunch of this RNA? Oh, that's right. So they've started experimenting with this technology in the 70s to edit your DNA. (laughs) That would make sense because 100% of the people that have died from actual flu and this current flu or control virus had been vaccinated for the flu. I just thought I'd point that out because they're editing the DNA of people that have a, you know, disorder with injections. I see.
2: And at the time said that he expected the benefits of the new gene therapy treatments to increase exponentially, much like the criminal enterprise you're hoping to... Once you figure out this whole DNA thing, the gene therapy industry has opened up new markets for entrepreneurs. A huge number of medicine and software startups focused around super gene therapy has sprung up in the last few years, such as in Silico Medicine in Latvia and Paradigm Diagnostics in Phoenix. Over time, it's possible that gene therapy could become as common as chemo or radiotherapy in treating genetic cancers. Emerging gene editing treatments include stromvelis, which treats dangerous autoimmune diseases. Chemriah treats leukemia in children by fighting cancer cells. And the aforementioned CRISPR, which stands for Clustered Regularly interspaced. Spaced short palindromic repeats helps to simply edit disease out of human genomes. Someday when suffering from previously incurable genetic diseases, you'll be spoiled for your choice with which gene therapy treatment to choose. Sounds good for people suffering from genetic diseases, but not all that useful for avoiding the pulse. You probably need a diagnosis and much better health insurance to change your DNA through gene therapy. Next option. So you ask yourself, are there any cheaper ways of doing this? What are some of the things that can alter your DNA? After more meticulous research, you find some answers. In 2017, food company Nestle convened a huge group of 550 scientists to research the links between nutrition and epigenetics, or the field of study concerning the links between gene expression and external or biological factors. They Let me explain
1: epigenetics quickly, because I've talked about this before. So those of you that have not heard the episode of epigenetics, which I did a couple years ago, I'm going to refer you back to that clip that I showed you yesterday that I will show again of Craig Ventner who took a bacteria, the mycobacterium genitalium, which is responsible for UTIs, right? And what his job was, Hey, that's the most simplest form. I'm going to edit the gene to create fuel. That was what he was being paid for. Now, um, He deleted and cut out all the genes that were identified as virulent. He deleted every single gene that bacterium had and allowed it to only have enough to metabolize, which means to exist, to be able to live and propagate. That's it. No virulence. In a controlled environment, that works perfectly. No virulence was being expressed, so it wasn't causing UTIs per se, right? Yeah, Exxon paid a shit ton of money for him to do this. So um, it was great, but the minute it went into nature, boy, even though the genes weren't there, suddenly it was virulent. So there's something called epigenetics, and I'll explain it to you in the most simplest way, considering, you know... I know this quite well. When, you're, when you've installed a program on your computer, you know, a trial run, let's pretend you did a trial run of McAfee antivirus, right? And then you're just like, all right, trial's on the server. I'm going to like uninstall it and install another one. So then you just keep doing that with free 30 days with all of these, or 90 days, whatever it is, and you keep on installing. And then at some point you run out. So you're like, oh, let me take McAfee. Again. And then you put McAfee, but McAfee's like, yo, you got to pay. And you're just like, what? I totally uninstalled this. Oh but there were some files in hidden places um, of that program. And suddenly it recognized that there were all the files to have McAfee. And it tells you that I'm still installed here, but it's nowhere on your computer. It's in these little files hidden elsewhere, right? That happens. This is exactly how your genes are. Your DNA, which they tell you the majority of it is junk DNA, has certain files, and I want you to think of, um, you know what, I'm actually going to look for it while it explains uh, the rest of this, you know, altering the DNA. I'm going to look for it because there is only one living organism on this realm that people know of that can have its DNA shattered completely, spread across, cut about, and yet it will collect itself like the Terminator and come back to life because it can find itself, because there are certain sticky points. Remember we talked about sticky feet, sticky ends in March when I was explaining to you the code of this supposed virus and how I told you that it was manufactured because I saw that there was a seam of graphene and we're going to get into that today. So you can understand um, how niobium, how graphene uh, integrate uh, and assist. I, I uh, initially touched base on niobium and how it helps regrow bones and how no one's talking about that. It actually regrows enamel, which your dentist will sit there and tell you, you can't regrow enamel. And it's like, yeah, but if you actually use niobium and you know, and then it's like the dentist has been out of school for a while. So, and it's not like they're the smartest, no offense to my dentist. <laughs> no offense, no offense. All right. So, Let's continue
2: this. We found evidence to cause alcohol dependency on a genetic level. So it's best to be mindful of what you put in your body because your genes certainly will. However, epigenetics is a lot more complicated than a simple one-to-one correlation between diet and gene expression. Countless factors can play into this. Amongst them are stress, exercise, and childhood experience. Harvard researchers have found that mice observed under chronic stress experience epigenetic modifications towards stress disorders and mental illnesses like depression and schizophrenia. A similar phenomenon has been recorded in humans. In 2016, a study in Mount Sinai Hospital found that epigenetic stress can be inherited as the descendants of the Holocaust survived experienced higher rates of stress disorders than the general population. An epigenetic study from Northwestern University professor Tom McDade found that one's childhood environment can modify genetic expression in adulthood, particularly in terms of developing genetic diseases. He discovered that certain childhood conditions in his sample group, such as being in a low socioeconomic prolonged parental abuse, and microbe exposure, could affect the child's future levels of inflammation. This inflammation would in turn be the trigger for the development of other conditions such as some cancers. This all shows that gene expression is a lot more malleable than you might imagine. However, there's a catch, as always. While epigenetic factors can affect gene expression, they don't cause any permanent structural changes to the DNA itself. In other words, you can eat, drink, and subject yourself to as much stress as you like. Your DNA will still be identifiably yours under any forensic procedure. So it's back to the drawing board again. You're racking your devious criminal mind here, wondering why it's so darn hard to change your DNA. I mean, in your research, you even found that some people managed to fundamentally alter their DNA by accident. Some people get all the luck. People like Chris Long. Chris Long is an IT worker from Nevada who underwent a bone marrow transplant in hopes of treating his nasty case of acute myeloid leukemia. His doctor was an unidentified man from Germany whom Long was extremely close with in a truly unexpected way. How exactly? It's because the DNA present in Chris Long's semen is not his own, it's his donors. While other samples of DNA taken from Chris, such as cheek swabs and blood samples, still registered as his DNA, his semen only displayed the donor DNA. Why? At this stage, nobody's quite sure. Though if someone like Chris committed a crime with a sexual element, forensic science would not be able to trace the crime back to him, unless of course they were aware of the condition in the first place. This presents a terrifying precedent for future of forensic science now that this is a possibility. However, seeing as you can't volunteer for a bone marrow transplant without suffering from blood or bone cancer, you're not going to have much luck here. DNA is starting to feel like more trouble than it's worth, seeing as it's so hard to change your DNA. Wouldn't it just be easier to get rid of it entirely? Would such a thing even be possible? Well, yes, but it's not something you'd like to experience. One horrific example is the last 83 days of the life of Hisashi Ouchi, a 35-year-old Japanese lab tech who worked in the Tokimura nuclear power plant. During a mishap with dangerous quantities of uranium, Hisashi Auchi and some other technicians were exposed to lethal doses of gamma radiation. Unfortunately for Hisashi, he survived the incident, even after taking 17 sieverts of radiation. For context on the significance of this, 8 sieverts is considered a lethal dose. Hisashi experienced quite possibly the largest amount of radiation experienced by a living human being. In an infamous question of scientific ethics, he was kept alive for 83 days while scientists tested the effects of the radiation on his rapidly and horrifically degrading body. Thankfully, he was at least in a medically induced coma until his eventual death. The radiation poisoning Hisashi suffered from was said to be so severe that it completely eliminated his DNA. You probably shouldn't be trying to change your DNA, but nobody's stopping you from changing your mind for the better. Why not check out some of our other videos on genetic...
1: All right. So, speaking of radiation and DNA, I found Radiobacter. Now, uh, actually, a friend of mine's son was doing a project last year um, in the spring and um, wanted to find something interesting. So, I introduced him to um, a super bacteria called Deinococcus radiodurans. Um, I found this. Um, clip. It's so interesting that the BBC did a report on it um, months after he put a website up at his school about it. Um, that's interesting. But this bacterium was actually discovered in the 50s in some, well, in a tin can of beef. Just uh, let's see what they say about it. Hold on, because I have not seen this. So we're watching this together.
0: The Japanese Tampopo mission experiment strapped onto the outside of the International Space Station a sample of the bacteria and then exposed them to the vacuum of outer space. And astonishingly, these bacteria have survived. experiment found is that the cells right in the center of the colonies survived those conditions whereas the cells on the outside died so it's almost as if the denococcus in the center of these colonies were being shielded and protected from their sort of fallen brethren their fallen brothers and sisters on, on top of them. <laughs> But that doesn't mean that life was delivered to the Earth from outer space. Um, All these experiments really show is that that isn't impossible. (music) These extreme loving survival superhero bacteria teach us about the outer limits of survival, of what biology can adapt to and tolerate. And so these extremophiles teach us which environments beyond the Earth we could find life in.
1: So this is kind of bootleg, like what they what they said, because let me tell you about radiodurans. It was found in beef, right in in some old tin can of beef in the fifties, and what they found was that this super bacteria um, would be able to have its whole um, genome split into millions of pieces and it would come back. So even though they're telling you, oh, this will help us see if there's other life. No, it's helping us see how and how a human DNA sample would respond. Would it seek cover from others around it to survive? And radio... Bacter, they all share because bacteria are asexual, the same uh, DNA. So um, I'm looking for this video. There's one with awesome bacteria. I mean, maybe we could play that. Um, let me see where I can find Radiobacter, though. So that way I can, there we go. Radiodurance, Radiodurance. I keep calling it Radiobacter. That's Agrobacterium. All right. So this one is one that they're describing. Uh, Which is pretty cool because Deinococcus radiobacter is like insane in regards to what it can do. It is insane. And scientists don't want this to find out about other life. To genetically modify themselves to be able to withstand radiation. Take a listen
3: action, because to save energy, g metal reducins only grows pili or flagellum when it needs them. Instead, scientists figured this out when they sequenced the bacteria's genome and found the genes that code for flagella. Apparently, even superheroes can't hide from DNA sequencing. The next superbacteria is Deinococcus radiodurans. Its power has landed in the Guinness Book of World Records, where it's listed as the world's most radiation-resistant life form. It can survive being blasted with 1.5 million rads of gamma radiation, which is at least a thousand times the amount it would take to kill a human. It was discovered in 1956 when scientists were experimenting with using radiation to sterilize canned food which isn't as scary as it sounds. It's actually totally safe and is still done sometimes today. But the researchers working on this were amazed when one can of meat spoiled anyway. The ruined can contained a mysterious red substance, which turned out to be a colony of D. radiodurans. This bacterium has a couple of different ways of protecting itself from intense radiation. For one thing, it produces high levels of protective antioxidants, including carotenoids, the same compounds that make carrots orange and give the bacteria that characteristic reddish color. Antioxidants counter the destructive effects of free radicals, highly reactive molecule fragments produced by radiation. That's because they can offer up electrons to stabilize free radicals without becoming destabilized themselves. Every d radioduran cell also contains four to ten copies of its genome so that it can recreate DNA sequences destroyed by radiation. It stitches together backup bits using a special protein called RecA.
1: So here's where I'm going to kind of uh, say, hey, NASA and BBC, your report was sup- super bootleg. So as you understand it looks like a four-leaf clover picture it okay and it looks like that's the way it looks like under a microscope so as he said it has four copies of its genome so when one blows up you know and gets destroyed the other one can come in and repair or exist that would make sense as to why the inner colonies were surviving on the backs of the others because the one thing that bacteria do is replicate right when they're in the right medium like you know a nice plate, and they have food in other words to metabolize they will propagate right they will produce colonies so um rather than listen to bbc and say oh it's amazing it's like survival of the fittest no uh, they all share the same genetic code because they're asexual means that they split and create themselves right so, it's identical DNA. and uh, the the only reason that the outer ones were taken out is because they actually grow from the outside in. So just so you know. Um, so we've just kind of debunked <laughs> the BBC uh, statement. I wanted to say it, but I thought, you know, even though I say, well, I'm telling you this because I know this, and uh, this is this is the stuff that i that I understand completely. It's great when I have other people backing up what I say. Because, you know, people like that stuff.
3: Now, high doses of gamma rays aren't exactly a problem you often run into on Earth. So... D-radiodurans probably evolved these abilities to survive extreme dehydration, which can have similar destructive effects. Today, scientists think they may be able to put it to use cleaning up toxic waste sites with radiation levels that would destroy most microbes. They've also managed to splice in genes from another bacteria species to create a strain of D-radiodurans that can break down an organic compound called toluene, which is a common contaminant in toxic waste sites. So, someday, a microbe that spoiled our food could also be saving us from toxic waste. Most movie and comic book superheroes probably enjoy munching on something like, say, shawarma after saving the universe. But IDNLS Sakaiensis prefers something a little crunchier, like plastic. Specifically, polyethylene terephthalate, or PED. Whether you know it or not, you probably use this stuff every day. It's a lightweight, colorless, strong plastic that's used in everything from disposable water bottles to polyester clothes. But this material is really hard to break down. Unless you're A. A team of Japanese scientists discovered this plastic-eating bacteria in 2016, while hoping to find something that could break down PET, and they eventually published their results in the journal Science. They started by collecting 250 sediment, soil, and water samples from a plastic bottle recycling site. Then, back in the lab, they checked each sample to see if any microbes in it were consuming PET and using it to grow. And one of them was. The bacteria they found use at least two enzymes to digest PET. First, they save the plastic surface and secrete an enzyme in To it, dubbed PETase, that breaks it down into an intermediate chemical called MHET, which is absorbed into the cell. Then other enzymes break MHET down even further, producing carbon and energy that the bacteria can use. Depending on the temperature, it would take a community of these bacteria about six weeks to totally break down a thin film of PET. And scientists hope that someday, these plastic munching microbes may play a role in keeping waste out of landfills. So...
1: So, So, let's get back to the whole... Straw ban? why do we need it when we can create colonies and colonies of bacteria well because there's no money in that right there's no money in that <laughs> they're using it for other stuff kind of like radio durans. yeah we're gonna use it for toxic waste sure that's why we're testing it in space sure no they're using it to see how they can genetically modify humans you know fun fact so, you know, I'm a bit nerdy and I love to use predictive modeling. So, I try to assume on a theoretical level if uh, the qualities that radiodurans have uh, were incorporated into the human genetic code, uh, what that would constitute in regards to phenotypic qualities. Now, that's kind of hard, but you know, with a little bit of uh, persistence and uh, <laughs> predictive modeling. Do you know what happens to human beings when um, they have a quality as such uh, to be able to hold copies of their genome? In fact, there uh, it was predicted that um, the majority of that would have to be sequestered into the cephalic region, the head. So that would increase the size of a human's head. And in addition, um, melanin would no longer be existent and the skin would be reminiscent of that i would i would say the keratin levels um would make it almost leather like and completely absent for color maybe grayish so you know um it could be just you know they maybe they can use it as a space suit um so uh you know that's 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 one way to go um I actually thought of that. It could be as a biological spacesuit to house um, uh, human beings um, that are in high radiation areas. So, superpower radio, radiobacters radiodurance, dinococcus radiodurance. So, all that happens, and like you heard, they took that and spliced it and it created some superhero splicing, splicing, splicing. What is this splicing? Right? We need to think of what this splicing is called. And we talked about it on a previous show, and and that's called CRISPR. So on that note, I'm going to um, play a song that's kind of ironic, a cover of uh, a very sad song, but the words are just incredible if you listen to the words. And because they have words on the screen, I will share the music that we will listen to Um as we all refill our coffee cups and take this short break.
0: When you try your best, but you don't succeed. When you got what you want, but know what you need. Tired, but you can't sleep. Stuck in reverse,
3: and the tears come streaming down your face.
0: When you lose something, you get your place
3: to fix you.
1: Welcome back, everyone. And I hope you like that rendition. Fixing someone. How do you do that? By empowering them, by repairing them, by sticking a band-aid on. Like, how do you actually fix something? Right? The only way you fix something is to destroy the foundations that something was on and rebuild it. If your wheel has spokes and one spoke is gone, you can mend it, but it will break again. If your house, if the wall comes down... You have to work on the foundation, right? And that's where you have to get down to, the foundations. The foundations of everything. You know, over the years, I've been giving you the foundations of life are only five, right? The programming has only five main components, right? Phosphorus, hydrogen, oxygen, carbon, and nitrogen. That's it. And then they form together to create everything else. Occam's razor we've talked about it many many times before the simplest answer is always the right one and that is how You learn that you are in a pen of knowledge When you understand the truth truth is power knowledge is power silence they say is golden mm-hmm. Depends what you consider silence <laughs> It's not by coming straight out and saying things I guess because spoon-feeding knowledge Never actually amounts to anything. It's kind of like how I first met President Trump. It was because I was saying, well, why give him $5, Dad, when you can give him a job? <laughs> because he'll eat with those $5 or get drunk on those $5, right? But in essence, if you give him a job, he'll make his own $5. It's always about a wall and a wheel, Right? That's the way it goes. So while um, this hearing is going on and they're so nicely manipulating media to demonstrate just what a bad person the president is, right? President Trump is so bad, he created jobs. He empowered and created leaders. He ushered people into learning more about how the system worked, told them about it, tried to simplify it. Yet he was bad. I see. Well, let's talk about gene editing a little bit. The question that everyone should say is, um, you know, can we create life? And today in Telegram, I I, um, introduced you to another form of the MIC, another conglomerate. That conglomerate does actually very interesting things. They have a certain program that they deploy for children that my children have partaken to, um, which is available to many children that um, have access to bases uh, for such education, and they work with other educational institutions, and it has to do with coding. Now, you would have to think why the government is investing so much in young coders at the Department of Defense, because it's cyberspace. (laughs) No. Remember, AI is supposed to mimic you. And because AI is something that you program, right, in ones and zeros, or like me, on a quantum level, where you can do ones and zeros at once, as I explained in a previous show, um, you're hoping that it can decode and help program biocode. Biohackers are very different. I've expressed to you about, you know, how when I was in California um, talking and going to conferences, um, how I would see really big researchers, medical researchers, have these rooms where they would get, you know, blood transfusions to pep themselves up. This is a real thing, blood boys, blood girls. And it was mentioned in that other video. But why? Why? I've also mentioned this term to you before, pluripotent cells, which are usually found you know, in your bone marrow, uh, which means it's a cell that um, can be anything. It can be a tooth. It can be a finger, uh, a skin cell, not a finger, but tooth, the cells for dentures, your dental, enamel, heart cell. It could be anything, anything. It's a blank slate. It's like manna falling from the sky that you can grab it and bite into it and it'll be anything you want it to be this is why when my daughter my youngest daughter had vaccine injuries i took her <laughs> diligently for what they call stem cell therapy but it was pretty much giving her my pluripotent cells from my marrow and her own to chelate the metal poisoning that she had. Um, I've been very, you know, transparent with that whole process. My daughter stopped talking; she stopped, uh, you know, speaking. I had um, gotten that that government program called First Steps to evaluate her, and at the age of like three and a half, they were telling me she had the mentality of a nine-month-old, and I found that impossible because it was a child that was speaking multiple languages, was singing and dancing, and then after, you know, she she got a barrage of vaccines stateside. Stateside. Which I didn't take her to the VA. I took her, or any government facility, I took her straight to my university's college. It destroyed her. And so I worked really hard. And... Um, tried my best to ensure that I can help her because I was so frivolous with her health and it was my responsibility. And as she was getting that therapy, I threw her into any type of stimulating activity I could. Uh, She was in Montessori, after school, before school, ballet. Like, I did everything to stimulate her. And, you know, I mean, at the Montessori, I kid you not, all she did was do cheese cutting every day the teacher would look at me and I'd have to hand over a brick of cheese whenever I was there <laughs> because all she would do is cheese cut. Um, and that's what she wanted to do. Uh, she was really into shapes and then, you know, it took her a while to read. I mean, she didn't even start fully reading until she was maybe seven. It was so delayed, but um, I had to make sure that she could only hear one language to pretty much raise her again. Um, and you know that was easy since um, in my household only only myself and my eldest daughter were multilingual, uh, so you know it worked like that. And then after that, it it she she developed. I took her to places that I knew about to get it done. So um, you know, it, and it's always on on gene targeting. Um, and and keep in mind that the the methods that I used in order to chelate, obviously changed her DNA uh, because uh, it was, she got more of my DNA. Um, And that will, you know, obviously expresses itself later. Kind of like they said, with the therapy, you get your DNA changed with the stem cells you get, you know, with transplants, you get somebody else's DNA. And then, you know, there's a theory, you know, why, you know, prostitutes look more like men in their forties and fifties, and, and they look like really manly is because they slept with a lot of men. And every time a woman sleeps with a man, his DNA is actually embedded in her. So, you know, like, I'm just not saying like the whole completion, but just the, the cells are embedded within her. And it takes a while to integrate um, within Uh, your genetic cells, just just so you understand. So, women that sleep with a lot of men um, tend to take on some of their qualities depending on how many and how strong, you know, their seed or cells were Uh, and if um, the qualities uh, match with yours um, to amplify those genes. I I mean, that's true. So, I'm just saying. Um, This is why you see that, you know, uh, females that were prostitutes, streetwalkers, escorts, at an older age, look—you um, uh, know—very weathered and and manly. Um, so it's 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 science. It's not you know anything. It's just science. So can we create life? So I, I found this exceptional clip um, because it talked about something. I've kind of confessed to you, but take a listen. <laughs>
4: Can we create life? What even is life? And what are living things made of? These have always been some of the most perennial questions in human history, but now we do understand what living things are made of. And it just so happens to be the exact same thing non-living things are made of. Molecules. The DNA molecule contains everything that there is to know about any particular organism, and in the present day, we can finally build our own custom DNA from scratch. This pioneering new field of science is called synthetic biology, and it is full of endless possibilities. Synthetic biology, also called SynBio or FrankenLife, is the next step of genetic engineering, involving the redesign of existing life for new purposes altogether. But most importantly, synthetic biology involves the creation of entirely new species, species that could one day help us achieve immortality. Unlike genomics, which allows us to read DNA, or CRISPR, which allows us to edit DNA, synthetic biology lets us become the architects of DNA. This time, instead of taking genes from one organism and putting them into another, we're going to cut out the middleman and just build the ideal organism from the ground up. In my previous video on xenobiology, I already talked about creating organisms made from alternate forms of DNA called XNA, but now, I'm talking about designing those information sequences themselves, gene by gene. Synthetic biologists are creating artificial life in a similar fashion to how Frankenstein assembled his monster from different pieces. But the pieces we use are at the genetic level, rather than the anatomical level. In fact, we can now design novel living systems and new species from a set of standardized genetic parts called biobricks. Think of them as, let's say, genetic Legos. And just as with Legos, the amount of things you can create are virtually limitless. These biobricks can be assembled into custom chromosomes, and the resulting artificial DNA can then be put into empty cells. By this principle, we can create new microbial life that does whatever we want it to. And it's the first step to programming millions of tiny biological robots that will keep our bodies healthy forever. Since there are times as many bacteria cells in our bodies as there are human cells, it makes them a vast, untapped source of potential for fighting deadly disease. With synthetic biology, we can one day reprogram these bacteria into microscopic medical drones called biobots, which could then implement therapeutic effects for any disease you can imagine. We might also be able to create bacteria that can synthesize biofuels, extend life expectancy, or even excrete life-saving pharmaceutical drugs. And just as synthetic chemistry grew out of physics, Synthetic biology will inevitably grow out of genetics. Dr. Craig Venter, the father of synthetic biology, has already taken the first steps to this goal. His team has spent 15 long years sequencing the DNA of bacteria and then artificially reproduced that bacteria from scratch. As a starting point, they chose to create Mycoplasma genitalium, the smallest bacterium in the world. Mycoplasma has the fewest genes of any living thing, coming in at only 1 million DNA base pairs in length. And since it doesn't have that many genes, it's not too hard to create a blueprint for one. Venter chose it as a model because he wanted to recreate an organism with the smallest genome possible, helping us understand which foundational genes are essential for survival, and then build up from there. In 2010, scientists at the J. Craig Venter Institute created an entire organism from scratch. They did this by sequencing the mycoplasma's genome and then coding it into a computer. From there, they reconstructed the entire genome with a DNA printer, along with a few biomarkers in the genetic code so they could track and identify the creature. Once they printed the genome, they injected it into an empty cell, creating the world's first artificial bacteria, appropriately named, Cynthia. Overall, the experiment was a success, hailed as the world's first synthetic organism, whose father was a piece of computer code. The claim was backed by a paper demonstrating that Venter's new artificial cell does in fact fit the scientific definition of life, meaning it was able to survive, make energy, grow, and successfully reproduce by itself.
0: Oh, it's alive. It's alive. It's alive. It's alive.
4: But make no mistake, we still have a long way to go. Cynthia's genome only had 500 genes, but humans have over 1,000 genes, and we're not even sure what half of them do. Overall. Even though Cynthia was artificially created in a lab, it still isn't true synthetic biology because it was just a copy of an organism already designed by nature.
1: All right, so I'm gonna stop that video. So it was indeed organized in a laboratory and it was copied, like I said. I was actually there when they attempted to boot life up and it just wouldn't boot. And I was so incredibly pleased to see that too uh because it's um it's what is most important to understand that life creates life you cannot destroy or create energy it is simply and merely transferred that is what life is so um one thing that i wanted to show from this video before i jump into the neuralink uh is um bioweapons i wanted to jump to where the person talks about bioweapons and uh, the importance of it. It's quite interesting because then you'll understand if they're thinking about weapons, then maybe they're thinking about weapons they can use and protect themselves. It's always like that. You don't create a gun without thinking, how can I protect myself from it? You don't create a weapon without the remedy in thought, right?
4: So-called B.O.W. scenario. First of all, we have the very real possibility of a superbug pandemic. We've all seen just how dangerous bacteria can be. For example, the Black Plague, caused by the bacteria Yersinia pestis, killed 50% of population in Europe alone. It was the greatest pandemic in history, eradicating about 100 million people. This fact alone should make us very nervous about putting these creatures into our bodies. However, it should be noted that people in the 14th century had no knowledge of germ theory, quarantine, or antibiotics. Perhaps modern medicine could stop such a pandemic if it ever happened again, but can we really be sure? Luckily, if modern medicine doesn't work, we have a plan B. Scientists at the NASA Ames Research Facility have found a solution to this problem by locking the synthetic bacteria inside tiny nanomolecular cages. That way, the synthetic microbes can be tightly contained before we put them into people. The researchers call it a quote-unquote bio capsule a tiny cage made of carbon nanotubes that could imprison bacteria in a limited space so that they don't replicate out of control the carbon forms a permanent meshwork of holes only a few nanometers long the holes are too small for the bacteria to escape but still large enough for the therapeutic molecules they make to get to cells but of course this idea isn't perfect because evolution always has a way of getting around things life uh- Away. for example what happens if a single bacterium escapes the biocapsule and replicates out of control or worse what if it escapes the laboratory and gets into the ecosystem not just infecting humans but disrupting the global food chain and causing mass ecological devastation worldwide this danger brings us to the so-called green goose" scenario
1: okay so if you notice this was a confession that i had what was that um non logical unit that they used, graphene. What did I tell you they used to create the structure of this COVID strain? I told you they seamed the tails with graphene and takes one to know one. Graphene graphene, and niobium, very important things. They open up uh, a great door of understanding how non-metabolizing materials on this planet can interact with us. Now let's get into Neuralink. You know, like I said, Elon's quite
4: jealous. This is the fabled idea of telekinesis. An idea once only limited to the sphere of Psychic Mysticism. There's also the idea of Telepathy. Could we have the technology to read each other's minds? In some sense, our minds already kind of do both of those things. It's just a matter of how effectively they can do them. First, we discovered fire and developed oral communication then we turned oral language into writing, and from then on, we found a way to turn that into the printing press. After a few centuries, we happened upon this thing called electricity, which gave rise to telephones, radios, TVs, and eventually, the computer I'm using right now, gradually increasing the bandwidth of mind-to-mind communication. But now, we have a new technology that could reduce this bandwidth even further, the BCI. Or brain-computer interface which holds the ambitious promise of letting your brain communicate directly with the internet. BCIs could very well be the key to making things like telepathy and telekinesis a reality. BCIs are no longer science fiction. There are interfaces out there right now that'll actually let you play the game Pong using only your mind. BCIs are quickly becoming a household name allowing disabled patients to control their prosthetic limbs and sensory bionics. In fact, some BCIs can now perform real-time speech decoding, translating our brainwaves into written or spoken language. And we've started using them to communicate with people who have severe neurodegenerative disorders. For example, researchers from Stanford University have now built a BCI that lets paralyzed people literally type with their brains, using nothing but electrode arrays implanted into their motor cortex. In the study, Researchers asked three patients with Lou Gehrig's disease to imagine the hand movements that they'd use to write any letter of the alphabet. They then had the BCI transmit the desire to write any specific letter into a series of digital signals so that the computer could type the letter for them. One of the patients was able to type 39 correct intended characters, which is about 8 words per minute, all without using autocomplete or spellcheck. We've also begun to develop BCIs that let our brains talk directly to these computers which could open the door to even higher ambitions, like mind uploads or human immortality. And of course, I'm talking about neural lace, which appears to be Silicon Valley's next big obsession. Neural lace is a term coined by the famous sci-fi author Ian Banks, defined as a device that allows brain-to-brain communication between any two humans, or between humans and AI. It's usually described as a kind of net, with thousands or even millions of electrodes communicating with the neurons to let us upload or download thoughts from the internet. And there are now three big tech entrepreneurs who are trying to make it a reality. Braintree founder Brian Johnson and his company, Colonel Mark Zuckerberg with the B8 Neuroprosthetic. And of course, Elon Musk with his famous new company, Neuralink. All three of them are trying to develop this neural lace technology for real. And they all have one very strange reason for doing so, to prevent an AI takeover by simply merging with the AI. Because if we can't beat them, then we might as well join them. This motive isn't as crazy as you might think. We already live in a world where artificial intelligence has begun to exceed the human capacity for learning. So to avoid a fatal outcome, they're trying to cultivate a technology where we can interact as naturally with our machines as we do with each other. The first of these projects is Kernel, a new company started by Brian Johnson with the lofty goal of turning the brain into a custom programmable device. Johnson sold his first company, Braintree, to PayPal for over 800 million dollars, and he's now investing a hundred million of that into Kernel's new BCI project, a technology he calls a neuroprosthesis, a series of microelectronic devices and non-invasive surgeries that could better interconnect our machines to individual neural pathways. The end goal of this neuroprosthesis is a kind of enhanced intelligence whereby understanding our neural code, we'll be able to interface with artificial intelligence and download its programs directly into our minds. It sounds pretty ambitious, but if you reconsider the human body as simply just a device capable of inputting, processing, and outputting information, then it turns out that the weakest part of that device is its bandwidth, the speed or rate that we take in data. Even with present-day technology like smartphones, We humans still possess a very low bandwidth, along with very inefficient user interfaces. However, Kernel is looking to create implantable brain chips with sensory augmentations that could expand that bandwidth and begin the first step for our partnership with AI. This brain chip technology is based on the work of Dr. Theodore Berger, a professor of neuroscience at the Center for Neural Engineering in the University of Southern California. Johnson's device is actually based off 15 years of academic research pioneered by DARPA and the NIH. However, Kernel still has yet to produce any human trials with these brain chips. So only time will...
1: So I just wanted to say while I skip ahead to um, Neuralink and Musk, I wanted to tell you the one thing about humans. And I've, I've, I've said this many times before. When you try to create or access software that you are not supposed to, there is a lot of resistance and it usually backfires on you and all the approaches that are being taken are done wrongfully and their timelines do not end well as they know artificial intelligence is mimicking humans so it's studying you every time you search send an email speech to text Create videos, like things, hate things. Remember, your AI profile is gold, and it knows every single facet of you. You're good, you're evil, and everything in between. As you know, we've uh, uh, Barack Hussein Obama created the um, uh, Brain Initiative, where twenty-three trillion dollars were allocated. And as I've told you many, many times before, it is important your duty to know what it is that your money is being used to do, and your debt, because there's a lot of this money that doesn't exist and they just take from you uh, in order to pay for it. This is where they have people where they open up their skulls and probe them. Again, they're approaching something that seems primitive on the surface, which is your body, your organs, that are... Fixed on time, according to what they say, because immortality is also code. Death is actually a program. Growth is a program. Heart disease is a program. Cancer is a program. Viruses are programs. If you think of your body in the sense of what you know about computers, it's quite simple. And people complicate things more than anything. They seek to do so because of what they know. I have full control of my computer. I know that if I program it like this, it'll do this. Therefore, I will not try to understand why I'm only using 10% of my brain. Instead, I will try to hijack that and kind of think about it later. It's like, yeah, I understand the whole process of walking before you can run, but I'm impatient. So I'm just going to run and it doesn't matter if I stumble. Well, your stumbles when you run, when you haven't walked is you're going to be eating dirt and possibly permanently, uh, changing, um, the way humankind is. I mean, think about it. Computers that are, uh, you know, to survive, uh, to be human per se, uh, their primary goal and their primary base programming, just like it is in everyone, it's survival. I don't want to die. You claw at the surface of the water, even if you can't swim, because you don't want to die. You know, you uh, you know, hang on for dear life when you fall off a cliff, because you don't want to die. It's basic programming to not want to die. <laughs> so... Inert objects that have no consciousness, as one might say, will also have that. So if you want to pretend that you're a computer and you were interfacing with yourself, a human being, which is flesh and blood, they can trip and fall, that can bleed, they can get sick, they can get fat, they can get skinny, they can, right? what are you going to do? You're going to be like, you know what? Uh, I need to replace that part. Mm, You know what? Replace that too. Need something more durable. So if you trip, you don't bleed. I need something that's not going to be reliant on your heart because that might stop beating. It's getting old. So let's replace that too. Let's replace, ah, you know, the whole pooping and peeing thing, totally bass class. Why don't we just nix the whole metabolism and just, you know, run on power? See, this is very dangerous territory. And this is the more ambitious points. Do you see these three programs that uh, these three individuals and what they are achieving? You see that? That's a psyop. <laughs> but they're psyoping. They're telling you to focus on this stuff that is evidently scary, so you don't look at the real scary stuff—the stuff that they've been giving you in your food, through your vaccine, through your water—to quietly change you. To quietly edit you. I mean, ever since we started vaccines, there's been a lot of cancer, a lot of ADD, a lot of autism. We didn't have a lot of that in the past, did we? Before vaccines, did we? See, a PSYOP is not just, you know, as blatant as the one that we've been undergoing for the past six years with Mockingbird Media And, you know, look here, don't look there. You're really looking here because these people are loud and they are showing you their terrifying stories that are to come because you've seen them in the movies before. I mean, have you seen the patents? I had someone, you know, I get so many messages on Telegram and I really try to answer all of them, but someone sent me an old movie called, well, you know what? I'm going to hold on to that because I want you guys to see it with me. I don't want you guys saying, oh, my God, this looks so interesting. I want to see it because I want to see it with you. So, But there was a patent that I mentioned over a year ago that was uh, in the ether, which shows that sports will be conducted by AI. Modeling and consumer peddling will be done with AI, which is uh, so realistic these days. I mean, you can hardly even tell the difference between what's real and what's not. And um, I've already told you that movies tell you more than you know. Uh, Just like I've said, uh, the stories they want you to know and the versions they want you to know, they make films of. You know, someone yesterday on a call said, I want to talk about Jade, you know, that chick that was filming John Sullivan and James Sullivan at the Capitol. (laughs) And it's like, she's an agency asset, dude. They want to make a movie because if they succeeded... They wanted to be able to tell the people what the real story was, which is their version of the story, not the reality. You see how that goes? Remember how Brennan worked with the producers of Homeland to give them content? There's been a lot of movies throughout time where scripts have been given in order to force people to think and see things the way they should. How many times have I told you Have you watched the movie movie Wag the Dog? I think the first time I mentioned it on air was in November of 2018. These things that I tell you to look at are not happenstance and happen chance. They're quite important because there are people that have a lot of these um, clandestine, covert operations, and they are hacking your reality. But there are many people out there speaking the truth that unfortunately are not being heard by many. But when it's a movie, the whole world can watch it. I mean, they'll put out any story as long as it makes the money. And so like I saw as you were listening to this or watching this, messages were flying by saying, oh, it's like the movie iRobot. Oh, it's like this. See? Some of those were precautionary tales. Precautionary tales. Quantum computing. There's two versions. The biological version. And the inert version. What has been going on in the past? I would say six years, but visibly on a public platform since 2017 is bioquantum against inert quantum. Have you ever thought to yourself, knowing that the people that were handling your keyboards, for example, right, were part of the Pentagon, right? Wouldn't they know about it if they knew? Pointing out to the poison. I was like so eager to I was like, say that it was a live demonstration, right? But no, no one wanted that idea to apply. But boy, wouldn't have it wouldn't have it been great? They would have tracked down the hacker to the Democrat candidate hacking his own election from his own house on his own computer. Because yes, I can do that. I can make it look like you hacked yourself. I can make it look like your four year old sat there on their iPad watching, you know spongebob or whatever hacking you know the power grid for example because you can do that technology can do that it's malleable you control the code a computer is not human a computer in itself standalone is not human i can tell it what answer to give i can tell it how to respond i can tell it what to do huh but when the human component comes in You can tell a human what to do, you can show it what to do, you can make it do, but you know what? When it's put under the strenuous task, you can't control your butt pucker, it'll always give it away. So what you're seeing now unfold and what you need to understand, (laughs) I don't give a crap what any of these decoders have to say, they have no idea what they've been interfacing with. No idea. Absolutely zero. And those that had gained control within the Pentagon, no, they didn't have control. They thought they did. Okay, I'm being, (laughs) okay, butt pucker. Let me explain to you what that means. When you're undergoing a lie detector test, you can pass it. If you've been trained to regulate your heartbeat, which you'd be like, you can't, you can't. Thoughts, happy thoughts. But the one thing you can't control is your parasympathetic responses Maybe. They made it look like a bust. But the technology already exists. Editing or amplifying or bionicizing or elevating to a more quantum level would be, I don't know, the... Or maybe they had, um, you know, a blood type, you know, things that are impossible to happen happen. There's always an indicator when there's a change, kind of like upgrades. They look shiny, new, right? Not dusty, new chipset, right? So when when you have a living entity that may have unlocked the bioprogramming there will be visible changes kind of like when you you know have you seen the cartoons where they're like oh mad scientist beefs up the mouse and now has muscles and stuff right kind of like that playing god or pretending to be god or pretending to be the source code of all hinders you from being able to see the source code itself it's all about everything in moderation and understanding so This portion of what Elon says, I find the most fascinating. And I say this because, you know, like I said, he's jealous.
4: Facebook will be around long enough to actually apply this technology. Lastly, there's Neuralink, started by notorious Tony Stark wannabe Elon Musk, who at this point needs no introduction. Musk originally decided to create Neuralink after having raised $27 million to help treat stroke and brain lesions. After two years of secrecy, Neuralink has finally revealed its operations to the public last month, with a live streamed presentation detailing its strategy to connect the human brain to machines. Essentially, Musk's Neural Lace project is intended to be a kind of mesh of electronic fibers, wirelessly transmitting signals from neurons into a computer, basically making human beings themselves an extension of the cloud. Neuralink's presentation included top scientists from the company going into great detail about the system planning to install the BCI by literally shooting holes in your skull with lasers and then sealing it back up again. Through these holes, electrodes will be inserted into the brain to direct the neural signals zooming around our head. Each electrode must be at least 60 microns from the neuron to detect its firing. So clearly, this tech is going to be incredibly invasive. Just invasive enough to tap into the synaptic junctions between our neurons and then translate that data into computer bits, which will then be picked up by a device behind the ear called the N1 chip. The N1 chip transposes analog data into codes of 1s and zeros, using filaments about 4 to 6 micrometers in diameter, each one connected to 3072 electrodes. To insert these filaments, Neuralink scientists will be using a remotely operated neurosurgery robot, which can insert about 6 threads per minute. So far, all of Neuralink's technology has only been tested in lab rats, but human trials for the FDA are already lined up for 2020, So in comparison to Zuckerberg and Johnson, Neuralink's prospects are actually looking pretty good. The first application of this technology will be to help people with disabilities. However, it definitely has some untold potential in other areas as well. The idea of writing and sending texts using just your thoughts is already mind-blowing enough, but I think the potential of this technology goes way beyond that. One big field of potential is universal human consciousness which we sort of have already with the internet, but the current bandwidth is very slow and we have a lot of information out there than our brains could possibly take in in a whole lifetime.
1: Now, coming from my perspective, I'm just saying that seems very pedestrian to even claim that replicating the human consciousness is something possible. that's totally impossible because they still believe in the constraints of time and space as it is. And when you're using tools, of science that are applied to one reality, you cannot replicate another. For example, what if you found out that um, gravity was a ruse and that it wasn't real and that it's not 9.81 meters per second squared when something falls from the sky down? That's not the speed it falls with, but it's in reality 100,000 meters per second, right? Let's pretend. Then every single equation you've done with the previous number is a facade. So what they are trying to do is replicate something in this structured reality with the parameters that they've been given to replicate something that doesn't exist in this construct. You see, within this construct is housed many more constructs. I've said this many times before. Your own, this is a massive biodome, and inside you have your own microdome right so there're different realities i mean could you imagine let's just let's just you know go out there fantasize a little what if bacteria could really like have conversations that they they go out and they party they go to clubs in your body and you know they have their own cafes and schools i mean you wouldn't be able to see it cuz they're so tiny but in their world that's the way it is it's like that cartman scene do you remember that where he had those you know fish in a can or whatever that he put in and um, uh, they they were in this bowl and they worshiped Cartman as the God and they were going about their lives had their lives or whatever but within that fishbowl because they could see only Cartman's face he was their God right because he was dominant and covered the whole fish bowl, right do you remember yeah the sea monkeys that's it so again, you can only be the king of the domain that you can see and that you think that you have power over. Again, Elon, you should be real jolly right now. So understand this. Artificial intelligence is simply that in its name. Artificial. It's not intelligence. There's a joke that me and Patrick Berge bounce around sometimes. Is Yeah, I worked in intelligence. Because people in intelligence are usually really dumb. <laughs> They are. (laughs) I'm sorry. Artificial intelligence. Artificial is the key word. True intelligence comes from knowing thyself. True intelligence comes from knowing weapons and means that will be used against you. That's what true intelligence is. So I wanted to take you uh, back to CRISPR. The gene editing software, because I see a lot of people pushing how um, CRISPR will fall off after a little while and it'll change things. But I want you to understand that's not the case. It's a cut and paste. Okay. And we'll pick that up tomorrow. uh, So that way you can allow this episode to percolate a little bit on you so you can understand how it is. Now, how does this apply to you? Well, I want you to take a step back. Artificial this, artificial that, illusion this, illusion that. If anything that science can teach you is that you construct your own reality and your own truths, right, based on the knowledge you have. Therefore, a lot of you right now are extremely frustrated watching the mainstream media as they give you a version of truth that doesn't really agree with the knowledge you have. It's quite fascinating. If everyone was to resonate on the same frequency, was to resonate on the same solution, was to resonate on the same factual knowledge of what they know, then how can someone else change that for you? It's like when people talk shit about you, right? And and me, right? how are they going to tell me who I am? I'm sorry, who are you again? That's How do you know me again? Oh, you've just created an opinion because you, oh, okay, well then, shoot, I guess I'm that person, you see? Nobody can tell you who you are and nobody can tell you what you know. And collectively, if people stuck with the truth and the facts, then what other people say, seems to mute down. No one will believe them. No one will accept it. And soon, they will go silent. That is how you win. We've caught them all, all. We have everything we need. They played the game and they lost. And the only way that the victory can be seen is through unity, through awakening. Everything is planned years, years, years in advance. What you have to do is find out that the stage was set. January 6th showed you that the streets are not safe for them. They were actually fearful for their life, even though they orchestrated it. Because the one thing you can't take for granted is the human consciousness. And what they feared was, well, what if they jump on and it's not just the people that we hired? To cause the commotion. What if other people jumped into that? Ah, a united America is an unstoppable America. And a united America, an educated citizen, a person that knows history, their rights, and their power, cannot be swayed by artificial anything. So many psyops of lies and fabrication, I think it's about time to drop a psyop with, packed with truth, to counter it all. The truth. In nothing but the bare truth. Did I not say that everything will be uncovered? Are you starting to see those that claim to represent you crumble in front of your eyes? And that is how it was meant to be. Thanks for playing, guys. But you lose logical thinking. That is all we need. Is this impeachment going to harm or help our president? Think about it. How do you introduce their high crimes and misdemeanors into the public? No, by demonstrating it through a trial. That's what you have to do. You have to let your enemies openly attack you. It's pretty hard. I've been victim of it on a very public scale in August and September. By a tiny dancer who loves to get manny petties and facials on your dime. While he used to play male prostitute in Texas a lot in his younger days. But I had to. Just like many of you are now allowing the enemies of your nation attack you as a citizen. And you do not like it, but it's okay. It's as if the whole world was in a coma and now you're waking up. Now you're waking up. Bags and ballots and fakeness. I'll tell you what. I got a letter. It wasn't um, that I'm being sued. I was told, we want to see you, but if we see you, then it shows credibility. So shut up. Okay? From Dominion. So Dominion sent me a letter. A big-ass law firm that with simple search could know that my life was completely destroyed and all my assets destroyed in 2019. Why would they sue me? They have nothing to gain. What are you going to get from me? Nothing. But they came at me, guys, berating me, Right? Your blog doesn't have any credence, and you're this person and that person because the Attorney General of North Dakota said so. And <laughs> we're not, we don't have anything to do with heart, inner civic, and your article from 2019 is moved. You need to take it down. You mean I need to take down my math that proved the software that's in your systems and every other freaking system across the planet? I don't think so. And so I was reading it, and I was just like, dude, what is the point of this? Then they were like, let me tell you the real truth of how Dominion came to be, all righteous and stuff. It was invented in his basement. And I was thinking, damn, I've seen that movie before. Bezos, Zuckerberg, fucking Dorsey. Same old damn song. It's like, okay, tired of the same story. Starting in his basement or his garage. I kid you not, they sent this to me. A massive law firm sent this to me, berating me, right? Berating me and telling me that I need to shut up and I need to remove an article from a year before the elections, because it's slandering to them, even though they're not even mentioned in the article from a year before the elections, And then I need to shut up. And Sidney Powell was so dumb to take on and have this. And it's like, damn, that's quite interesting. You're not suing me, but you're threatening to sue me. But you know that if you sue me, you're not getting a penny. So all you're doing is giving credence. And they said it themselves, we're not going to see you because then it gives credence to what you say. But and then, to top it all off, they ended it with, look at the big fat lawsuits we threw at Rudy <laughs> and, and Sydney Powell. Now, shut up. <laughs> it's like, I've, I've read this letter a couple times. And I was like, you know, I want to write an article about it. And the lawyer was like, Tori, don't. And I was like, but it's stupid. Like, I should call them out for what they're saying. Tori, don't. But they put dead links as reference. Tori, don't. <laughs> But I thought I'd share it with you because that's what I've been busy with because I'm kind of trying to understand this big-ass law firm that just sued Sydney for... Why Why would they come to me and berate me? Your blog is nothing. And I, I wanted to say, well, you know, I do get a million visitors a month, but I guess it's... You're right. It's totally moot. Nobody cares about it. You know, all I was hearing is, Tori, don't. So they'll be very <laughs> angry with me talking about it. But It's like, Dominion, you've been caught. I caught you red-handed. I caught all of you because you can't hide. You know, when people are supposed to inspect the software, right? You don't let them because it's proprietary. But guess what? My boss paid for that proprietariness over a decade ago. And guess what? I got to see it. That's why I was able to actually do the math. Just saying. So um, on that note, as we see this impeachment trial, which I will watch with um, popcorn later on today, And we'll recap it tomorrow. I want you guys to understand that everything happens as it happens for multiple reasons. And do not see this uh, impeachment as something that will even stand. I mean, laws are made, laws are broken, and laws are reinforced or dumped. Because remember, at the end of the day, those are man-made. So remember to send out those letters to the AG, your AG. AG Yost, I couldn't believe it that he responded. So let's see how the Secretary of State (laughs) now responds to my letter. Uh, And we'll um, make sure. Use your power, guys. They work for you. Remind them that every single day. Do whatever it takes. For those of you on Twitch, we will be reading momentarily. God bless everyone. I will see you tomorrow.
0: Falling too fast to prepare for these Drippin' in the world, with dangerous Everybody's circling in a sculpturist Negative nepotist Everybody's waiting for the fallen man Everybody's praying for the end of times Everybody hoping they could be the one I was born to run, I was
2: born for this we-